0: The Purpose Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. We're all about delivering great content, thoughtful discussions, and tips and tricks to help you truly get the most out of your life and business. And here's your charismatic host, me, Matt Browning. Hey, 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 it's Matt Browning. Welcome back to... The show. Welcome to a beautiful edition of Interview Fridays. Um, I love these ones because today, today we're going to get into. Uh, it's funny, kind of a personal story uh, between my guest and also myself. I I brought this guest on. I was very excited. Um, I, I've gotten to know Brady over uh, over a short period of time, but I feel like he's one of those guys that. And I don't say this about everybody, and I really mean this. When you meet him, you feel like you've known him for a long time, and he's just a really good-hearted, good-souled dude. Um, I've met him and his partner uh, in the—they're in the online marketing space. He runs the business as a COO, but our interview is nothing to do with online marketing today. As you go into your weekend, you are blessed. You, are, you get to listen in on a conversation I have about the entire other side of Brady Patterson, his Wilderness Adventure Guide side. Uh, Brady is a pretty cool... A bad dude, uh, Canadian. He's a good dude, but you know, like he's he, he's a pretty serious guy. Um, we talk about how he grew up in in Saskatchewan, out in kind of some rural areas in Canada. Uh, he grew up with nine siblings and what that was like. Uh, and we really, again, I get into sort of just the human side of what it's like to go and be part of a blended family where you have nine siblings and you have instant older brothers. Um, he shares this crazy story about being locked in a freezer and. Screwed Screaming his way out, and he'll tell you how that uh, comes to be and how it ends, and what he learned from it, which is even crazier. We talk about how uh, he got into the survival, the wilderness survival world, um, and when he made the choice six years ago to get into this full time as a vocation, uh, to do this for a career. And, you know, it's not always something, you know, something that when you follow your passion, right, you want to follow your passion, you want to do something that you love. And, for a lot, uh, a lot of people, and maybe you're one of them, I know I was one for a while, um, you think about the things you love to do, and you think, oh, should I make a business out of that? Shouldn't I? And for me, I, you know, I thought a lot about, in the early years of my climbing and mountaineering, I thought about doing that as a business and making money from it. I opted not to try to create that, and I went a different route. Brady moved into that, and six years ago, he began doing that full-time, which is just so cool. So if you want to learn about and what plants to eat, uh, how do you start different fires in different environments, how do you build a shelter. Brady's the guy to go to, and he does these retreats, these leadership retreats and team-building retreats out in rural Canada, and you can take either as yourself as a solopreneur to go learn lessons and just get out and see what you're made of. But also, companies will hire him to go do team-building retreats where they get out and basically survive together. It's the coolest thing ever. Uh, We also, uh, what I'm really excited about, too, is I didn't realize where the interview was going to go, but as he shared more of his story, I began relating more and more. So he and I both... Again, unexpected, but we share real openly about about early life, uh, about addictions and choices, uh, drugs and alcohol, and you know sobriety and and making changes as we mature and go through life. So you know we just it's a very honest, very open conversation uh, about what life has been like and what life is like, and it's just again a, a great conversation with a really really cool dude. So this interview Friday is not one of those like teaching learn the 1200 keys to this in your business this interview Friday is grabbing a cup of coffee with a good friend and hearing some stories that uh, I really really want you to get to know Brady so without any further ado let's hit it Brady Patterson so here we are finally sitting down to do this man I am so stoked out of my mind Um, the first time we met was it at my at my event yeah, first time we met was at my event. You came down to speak on behalf of the company that you're COO for, Success Road Academy. Yes, and instantly, no, it wasn't at my event. We met at the no, retreat, that's right, in December. Wherever was that? Up in Santa Cruz? That was up in Santa Cruz. Yeah. so we're sitting around the campfire outside. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, it was you and Mon and me and Molly Mahoney. Yes. And we were just having this lovely time just connecting. And we started talking about wilderness. We started talking about adventure. We started talking about climbing. And instantly I was hooked. So ever since then, I've been uh, just infatuated with you, man. Uh, I had the chance to. Uh, so we're sitting in this conference right now mm-hmm. in Monterey. So almost Santa Cruz, pretty close <laughs> area. And uh, we're we're sitting out, just having a, a lovely time on the beach. Your better half, far better half, is <laughs> who she is, <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, she's out here right now, mm-hmm. and I got to finally meet her. What a pleasure. Um, but anyway, without any more of that, I'm excited to finally sit down with you. Brady Patterson, how are you, man? What's going on?
1: I'm doing great. I this is And it's fun, because this is the first time I've ever actually been able to take my wife somewhere. Uh, usually it's fast and furious, fly in talk flyouts kind of thing and so for me to be able to like be in a space to relax enjoy this nature i mean i've gone swimming in the ocean people keep thinking i'm slightly crazy because i'm not in there with a you, suit you went this afternoon yeah this afternoon as well yeah, yeah.
0: and it, it is summer as we record this but dude it's cold outside
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's not very warm how's the weather or how's the water the, the water's a little chilly i mean i don't i didn't bring a thermometer to test it it's cold it's warmer than the water back home where i swim every week yeah. You, so you live in Vancouver. I do. Right? Beautiful yeah. place. Yeah. Um, where did you grow up? Oh, I grew, we were a bit of gypsies. We grew up all over the place. So was I it mean, all over Canada? Though? All over Canada. Okay. Yeah. So I grew up in, I was born in, in British Columbia in, in a small town called Vernon and we moved all across the prairies uh, for most of my life. So I grew up in the flat parts, you know, growing lots of grains or in, the, or in the timber, right? So nature and the prairies and the timber. So that
0: would be like the woods? Yes. Okay. And, uh, yeah, the timber would be the woods. I, I will translate this whole time for
1: everyone. <laughs> so the woods. He's yeah. going to translate Canadian into, into American. That's
0: now, okay. I saw th- uh, you lived in Saskatchewan at some point. I did.
1: How old were you when you moved?
0: And, and what's the, w- paint us a picture, what's Saskatchewan like? Saskatchewan It's a fun word to say. I
1: just wanted to make sure I found a way to say it on, on the pod. Oh, okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, <laughs> it's like living in a sea of grass. Hmm. It's like a sea of green in every direction. So when the wind blows, you feel like you're at the ocean because everything as far as you can see is just waving in the wind. Wow. Now, as you were
0: uh as you were growing up, were you always kind of into like outdoors and outdoor lifestyle
1: or is that something you adopted later on? Yeah, no, it, right from an early age. Uh my father at one point was a guide uh doing horseback, so he would he would uh, Wow. So he would, you know, he was a hunting guide. So they would go out and hunt, and so I, I think I was a year and a half or two years old. My dad took me out hunting for the first time, so I, first time I ever pulled a trigger. Uh, obviously, really? he held the gun, oh. and I, <laughs> pulled, just I just pulled the trigger. Right? He hands so. a out 6 to his baby. Yeah. Figure it out, son. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, man, this, um, that's Canadians. <laughs> that would-be Canadian thing. And, <laughs> yeah, after that, it was, it, it just, I'd never left my blood. It was always to do with nature. No matter where we lived, whether it was a uh, deep forest or prairie or even in, in the urban environments, I always found the park. I always found the nature. I'd be climbing the trees, building forts, stuff that, you know, most boys do. But also, like, I would spend time out in them. I would spend overnights in them. And, I mean, I think I was 12 the first time I spent uh, almost a week outside on my own. On your own?
0: Yeah, on my own. Not camping. So when I was 12, I went camping with the Boy Scouts and my dad.
1: Mm-hmm. You were 12 out having, like, a survival quest? Yeah, it was five days of camping by myself. Wow. And, I mean, I had lots of that awesome. were with that, like, with, you know, school trips and with different scouting groups and things like that, but it wasn't uh uh, yeah, it was just, uh, this was on my own. So, wh- so what was family like growing up? So obviously dad was uh,
0: outdoors and hunting and did guide, guiding. What, what did, uh, w- was your mom in your life too?
1: Yeah, my mom was in my life, and my dad actually left my life about three. <laughs> at uh, three years at old? At three years old. Oh, wow. Uh, they parted ways, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was different. Do I you mean, remember that? I don't remember the parting, no. But uh, you, do, you, do you remember your dad? Uh, vaguely. Like, I mean, like if he's still if in my life, but uh, I don't remember him as a kid. But the early on, okay, yeah, because there was a period of time for about three till I was about eight before I didn't see him again. Wow, so it was five years of no contact at all, and so during that time, obviously a lot of other things formed. I had a different man come into our family's life who was not a very pleasant individual. Uh, so I, I don't want to go into like the, the the bad details around that, but it was it was not a fun life. Um, but the one thing that he brought to the table that I. Um, Still got to experience was uh, was horses. So we always had horses around. Wow. So there was still that farm or that nature piece always as part of my experience Mm -hmm. So did you end up getting close to your mom at that point? Yeah, Right. Yeah, absolutely. And w- was it just you or Jeff siblings? Uh, three siblings. Well, uh, technically, there's actually n- it's a blended family. We have nine
0: kids. I was getting, so I, w- <laughs> I was stalking you on Facebook, and yeah. I looked on family, and I figured some of them must be in-laws. But is it was like brother, 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 sister, sister, <laughs> sister, brothers? So ha- how m- there's nine total, including there's you? nine
1: total, including me. Boys and girls. A mix of boys and girls. So five boys, four girls.
0: Wow. Yeah. And so in in those early years. So did did, did uh, was it your stepdad? I'm assuming did mm-hmm. he bring in kids that he already had in family? Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. what was that like? Like, do you remember being again? You're three, four, five years old, and oh. all of a sudden, boom, Brady Bunch.
1: Yeah, it was a. It was a. What was the What was the good in that? The good in it? Uh, it really taught me to deal with adversity and people that didn't like me. People um, that didn't like you. Yes, because my step siblings, it was like they were older. They were kind of established. The family was kind of pretty solid. And then there was this young, you know, this new family that comes along. And there's a, like a four-year gap, I think, three or four years between the, the youngest there. And so it was like instant kind of conflict. Right. And so I learned to deal with adversity because, I mean, there was the time that they put me in a hockey bag and locked me in a deep freeze, you know. Locked you in a deep freeze? <laughs> in a deep freeze. Deep freeze. It, that's a freezer. Yeah, like a, a freezer. And it was, so there was some, I learned how, to, number one, to be calm uh, under what the situation, because panicking didn't help. No. Uh, you know, I was freaking out in the in the in the freezer. It, it didn't help anything. And they're laughing, right? Outside. I could hear it, but they they're not letting me out, right? So I, I feel like that's more
0: than just like
1: light teasing. It's not light teasing. No, yeah. no, 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 that's no. it that's was it was a little relentless. Yeah. It wasn't the greatest. Uh and, I mean, we 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 grew to become friends and learn to love each other uh in our mm. own ways, but it never really it was it was definitely challenging and I learned to deal with all those different pieces of mm. uh, those different people, right? What what, what was the predominant emotions? If you don't mind me asking about this, I think
0: so. I'm so interested in that. Like, was it, did you mostly feel like, was it, were you angry at him? Was it lonely because you weren't a part of it? Was it fearful, like what's coming next? And we don't have to stay too long on it, but I'm I'm so, because you're such a tremendous young man. I'll call you a young man. We're about the same age. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But like, you're such a tremendous man today, and you're so kind, and you're so full of joy, and. Like I get it, you have a, That's why you're here with me right now. You mm-hmm. have such a great heart. So for me, I'm always so curious on when when we go through the fire, how we come out the other end. So I want to know what the fire was made of. Does mm. that make sense? Right? Yeah, that's a great point. Wh- what was the main kind of predominant emotions in that young time?
1: I was lonely, lonely, really, really lonely. I, I saw didn't it have in your face anybody when, to talk I to. You. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it, you know I could t- I, I couldn't talk to my family because if I told my mother I was being uh, picked on or abused by my f- by my step sa- step family uh, it came back ten times worse and so I so learned would your to mom go hey you
0: got to stop doing that to him and then now they're like oh let's really get him
1: yeah, yeah. and and from that which is how it is
0: a lot even yeah. bullying today it's how it is in schools where mm-hmm. you know we're trying to ch- change the bully culture but it, it it's harder than it sounds because it's not just about hey see something say something. Th- there's a culture in there, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they would pick on you harder.
1: Yeah, they would pick on me harder, um, and it was just really, it was not, a, it was not a fun experience. So I learned to social isolate, right? So I keep myself to kind of put everything into a box, shove it aside, don't pay mm-hmm. attention to it. And the only time that I would let things out of that box was to protect my younger siblings. So if there was... And those were on on your side, on my side of your mom yeah, and dad? Yeah, like okay. my sister, you know, my blood sister, uh, she's, you know, and my brother, they're younger, right? So a year and a half and then four years gap. And so if there was trouble coming, I just did everything to be conspicuous, get their attention, uh, and take the brunt of everything myself so that they, I could kind of shelter them.
0: Wow. what an, What a unique position to be in that you're... The baby of a new family to get picked on, but yet you're the eldest in a way, Mm -hmm. right? Wow. So I was the baby in my family still, you know, still am. (laughs) Um, My brother is three years older than me, and he picked on me. I was, I would say, nonstop, but not exactly. But it was very much, it was just that, that sibling rivalry. But I also looked up to, up to him a ton. Mm-hmm. And my sister was eight years, is still eight years older than me, and she would protect me often, right? She'd be yeah. the one, because she was bigger for a while than him, and she could, hey, get off him, you know? Stop holding him down and holding your orange juice loogie over his face, letting it drop down two feet, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and, and stop doing that kind of stuff. Um, so did you, did you end up growing closer with your mom at that point, like
1: more and more as time went on? No, I never really got close to my mom until, like, really close until we were well into adulthood. Like, I, you know, I would have been probably closer to my, like, almost 30s. Wow. Before I really, like, I had a lot of anger. You know, I was, right. I was mad at her for the experience. Why didn't you leave? Why didn't you pull us out of this? Why didn't you recognize it? Why didn't you save me? Yeah. Right? All these things were always going on in my head. And so, and I was also really ignorant to my mother a lot. Like, I, ignorant to I, Yeah, mother. I was mean to her. I was oh. unpleasant because I blamed her for all the problems that I was having.
0: Right. Well, in in fairness, like, there's not a lot of who's responsible for that. And, and you know, we talk a lot about, you know, taking personal responsibility and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But but it's a different conversation for a kid. Yeah. Right? It just really is. And and, and it's like we all have – you have an ownership of what you did with it. But parents, we have the ownership of of what we created in the first place, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And it's something nice, when you know, when when as a parent and a kid, especially in in adulthood – Like, I can have conversations with my parents now, and it's nice to be able to have, like, almost equal responsibility, that Mm -hmm. makes sense. You know? I can say, okay, like, hey, I I, I did this as a result of the conflict. But for my dad to say, yeah, like, I screwed up by doing that, I'm like, oh, thanks for saying that, you know? It's nice. Um, But I want to get off of that a little bit. So what what was the biggest gem or resource that came out of that? You learned to be how. You learned to do what. What was the personality that came out of that? Because you have a ton of positive
1: attributes, and I know some of them were forged yeah. in the fire. Yeah, and I think it was resilience. And it, it, it's hard to skip over it without going back to, like, uh, when I was 16 when I developed a drug addiction. Oh, and let's talk about that. Yeah, so I moved from one town. I was socially isolated. I didn't get along with everybody. We moved a lot. Mm-hmm. And so we moved to this new town, and all of a sudden I went from being kind of uh, unknown, socially isolated, to, like, everybody wanted to hang out with the new guy. Right, and it was it was really exciting. I was like, oh, this is amazing. Well, when you get that influx and you're socially isolated, in my case, it was like, wow, I want to be part of everything. I wanted to be included in all of it. It was something that I had missed in my family. So I was like, I drove into everything, and very quickly it ended up being well, it was, yeah, it's like the the athletic crowd, the cowboy crowd, the all the different groups that hung out in our school, including the people that did the drugs. And so very quickly I was like, wow, this is fantastic. I'm having th- th- these guys accept me completely because the other groups there was always like some requirements like you have to yeah. be more athletic or you have to be you know, have to be on the farm or whatever and or really academic right, right. you know depending Absolutely. on the different group and for me i was not really any of those i mean i was partially i ran the farm and we had a hobby farm so i was you know running the farm and so you could fit into them but it was still i never felt at home yeah and so with this group there was no requirements nothing and they were just like here oh. did you just get high with us exactly and so I dove into that, and it, so it was about five years. And it was a pretty dark. I was I had a lot of fun in that time frame, but I also uh, did a lot of long-term damage to my to my psyche. Right, whereas like hmm. it didn't help the social isolation. It didn't help. I developed a fifty thousand dollar a year of drug habit. Uh, you know, it, it caused me as many problems as it's uh, as it's helped fix. You know, kind of hypothetically, Like not really, but um, it helped mask, no, mask it. Yeah and the the biggest catalyst for me was it for the first time in my life my little brother you know siblings right had always looked up to me Mm -hmm. and i was coming home when i was 21 years old to visit my family and i went out for a quick drink and i showed up uh well i woke up the next morning i didn't know where i was i went for one drink and i just blacked out and that was a normal occurrence for me Mm -hmm. and so i wake up in the next morning and i'm like hey what's going on where am i i don't know where this place is what's happening my mom had just moved houses and i actually made it back to the right house and it was my little brother's 16th birthday the night before. And he came home with his friends uh, from doing whatever things. And he's like a tech geek or a, a physics, uh, physics nerd, what he calls himself. And very, very smart kid. And he comes home and I'm passed out on the floor and in the middle of their play zone. They're going to play and hang out, play video games all night or whatever. And the next morning I'm looking at him at breakfast and he's giving me this like dark look it's just glaring at me and I'm like oh what's going on like this is just happening and it was just this weird I couldn't shake the feeling and it was the first time I ever recognized him looking at me like I was a piece of garbage wow and I was like that feeling was an instant catalyst I smoked two packs of cigarettes a day at that point Uh, I drank a flat of beer a day half the time uh, plus drugs and you know or I should say the flat was a plus but you know, I was just a mess. And I was like, okay, this has to happen. I, I threw my smokes in the garbage. Uh, I drank all the booze and did all the drugs the night before. So they, that wasn't an issue. oh well, that's easy. Those were, yeah, those, those were easy, to, easy to solve. And that was it. And I completely sobered up. I was and you were what, 21? 21. Just, wow. bef- just before my 21st birthday. Just like that? Yeah. Cold turkey. And it was not easy. <laughs> Obviously, when you're breaking a drug addiction, there was definitely some challenges. And that's how I got involved in really diving into the, like the this kind of personal work and learning more about myself, my psyche, uh, where I come from, what's happening, um, environments, the impact of environments. That's one of my favorite things to talk about is like how in our environments impact us and cause unconscious decisions. Right. So you really got a lot of personal development. Did you do uh, 12-step meetings? I did not because it wasn't a, at the time like I had a... I, I don't mean, know if they were available or not. They were. Or? They're absolutely available. But the problem was for me, I had this big... Aver- because religion was a huge part of my family. Uh, we were raised. Ro- I was raised Roman Catholic, and so all the shame and the blame and the things that came along with Here we um, go. that piece. I know, right? Here we go. <laughs> let's get into it. Uh, that that I had some really bad uh, things. Actually, I stopped going to church when I was sixteen. When I went to my my friend uh, Ken had a had committed suicide. He was a really lonely man. had been struggling, and just one day disappeared. And not oh find gosh. him for for quite a while after. And the priest that we had at the time, he came. We I went to church for his funeral. They wouldn't. And they said everything was fine. He's totally allowed. They banned the coffin at the door. He said nope, he's not allowed in. And then it was a, a one-hour fire and brimstone. He's going to burn in hell for eternity. Uh, a speech, and the entire audience was just in shock because we thought we were coming to sell, like you know, say goodbye. That's terrible. And I mean, I know, I know uh, he probably had great intentions. Like it was probably comes from it probably came from a good place, but it was just so poorly delivered that I was that was the last time I set foot in church. Uh, at least for to, to attend a, a service. And that that made a fundamental shift for me. So, I mean, it was total change.
0: Well, although this isn't fair to me to even say, um, okay. speaking just for a moment as a pastor, because mm-hmm. you know, I, also, I also pastor in a Christian of church, course. I want to apologize on behalf of people <laughs> um because it's uh, i have heard a version of this story so many times, man in ministry and and it's like what it always comes down to is there was a human somewhere who just missed the heart of God in a big way and and then or taught something just straight up wrong, I absolutely know? agree with that, yeah, <laughs> and uh so I just want to take a second and, and uh and apologize on behalf of all idiots <laughs> <laughs> for when we get it wrong and uh yeah, and I know you know that, and I know you know he loves you, and, and it's all cool. Um, man, that's hard, though. What a what a, what a a trip. So you got into personal development a ton at that point. Yeah. Are you still, w- when you were using and abusing alcohol and everything, were you still into, like, the outdoors? Or do you kind of get a hiatus and like, you didn't really have the energy to go out there because you were passing out? Or did you, hey, I'm going to go drink in the wilderness? Like, what was that? Yeah, like,
1: like so uh, we would get high and go for hikes. Yeah. Or we go camping, and you know, you know, or, and canoe. Uh, so we go f- on a like a week long canoeing trip through the remote wilderness, and we'd be high the entire time, right? Experiencing that. So I learned to function really well in that world. Right, right. Um, now, I kids, can't. I know this sounds
0: fun. It is not fun. It is not fun. It's a terrible idea. Yes, <laughs> to please do not repeat to say my mistakes. That sounds so cool, but it does not sound cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, you and I are so similar too. I didn't realize how much of that because. When I was, like, 15 is when I really started um, getting into drugs and alcohol. Okay. And and it was the exact same thing. I just realized this even within the last two weeks. I did uh, a podcast just recently where I shared the story behind the book I'm writing. And I realized the whole reason why I care about culture and around, like, you know, people with people is because I always felt lonely. Yeah. It was the exact same feeling. I always felt like I snuck in the room. I always felt like I was on the outside looking in and I never belonged anywhere, but when I found the skater or punk rock kids that were doing drugs, even then I didn't feel part of it. Mm. But like you said so brilliantly, they had like a lower standard <laughs> almost of <laughs> uh, of what you had to do to fit in. All yeah. I had to do was hang out and smoke with them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then it took a, a couple of years and having the epiphany moments. So w- when you kind of woke up and had that epiphany, that change, what was like? What was the next thing on your horizon? Did you um, did you say, oh, "All right, it's time for me to go to school," or it's time for me to do this, that? Wh- what happened next, kind of career-wise or life-wise? You're 21 and you're sober.
1: Yeah. Well, for me. Uh, because of the personal development thing, I was like, man, I want to do that. I want to get into that world, but I, I i didn't understand it. I didn't, and I definitely was not an example of any of those pieces at that point. So I was, and at that point, I still, I, I had been, you know, I had a DJ service. Even throughout the addiction, I had a business from the time I was 18 onwards. Really? Yeah. And uh, I had the only way I could afford the drug addiction. <laughs> and uh, so these were, you know, as I, as I moved forward through, through the, um, uh, the sober stage and I started learning, I was like, okay, how do I find my path? And so I tried out everything. I was like, I'm just going to go until I find something. And so I closed down my DJ service cause I wanted to get out of the environment, but I still kept, I should actually, if I backtrack, uh, from the time I was 18 till I was 23, I kept the DJ service active. So I still, I still went to a bar, you know, three or four nights a week. I still went to music festivals where the drugs were happening and like all these different pieces. I was constantly in that environment kind of as a push. Like, can I be in this environment and still stay sober? So you're testing yourself constantly. And it's never changed. I'm always like, uh, one of my friends, uh, he likes to nickname people when they come to his events. And uh, I've gone twice where he's given me nicknames. The first time he said, uh, actually, doesn't matter. Let's go with the, the last one, which is the one on his purpose. He, calls, <laughs> he goes, it's uh, Meet Me at Edgeless. And because, like, I don't have a lot of edges. So I I push right to the edge. Mm -hmm. And then, for me, there's, like, there's nowhere to tip because even if I tip over, I can always step back. There's no no edge. And so I was always pushing and always trying to find out what that was. And so I built houses out of mud. I mean, I, you know, natural homes. uh, I worked in the oil field. I actually ran a really successful oil field company for many, many years. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. So (laughs) I did that for a long, long time. I even tried, I started out as an employee and very quickly realized this is terrible. I like, I want to make more of the money, not, not some of the money. That makes sense. And so I was like, okay, so I moved into the other side of it. And did you, you, so how did you transition
0: that? Cause that's an interesting thing. Did you did you buy out something, or did you start your own from scratch, or? Well,
1: <laughs> I actually was wor- the company I was working for. I went in and I was like, "Look, I'm in less than a year and a half. I basically run this entire division, and I want the appropriate upgrades. Like, I need to know. I, like, I'm trained up for all these pieces. I want I want a promotion. I want a, more authority, m- more more status, something, something. And the guy was like, "No," and I was like, "Well, then I'm going to leave." He was like, "Okay." Like and, and, and I think it was a, with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I th- he's like, I think he thought it was like, a, like just like me saying that he's like, and it, he, sa- as soon as he said, okay, you can leave. I just took that as like, Oh, that was my sign. I'm out of here. Hmm. And it was less than a, two weeks later that I ran into a, a gentleman who was in this a similar field. And he was like, Hey, uh, I'm doing this thing. Uh, do you want to be part of it? And would this make sense? Like become come to some similar partnership. Right. Mm-hmm. So I got into the, like um, doing contracting work and it just grew from there. Wow, we are very
0: similar. <laughs> Except for I, I had the exact same conversation in, in the mortgage business huh. with my boss. Mm-hmm. Exact same thing, but he said I was wondering when you were going to ask, and then he set me up on uh, on a bonus and and commission structure, and I went very quickly from very little money to a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's funny, I probably would I probably would have left. I
1: think. But he—I don't know—maybe he was smarter than your other boss. <laughs> <laughs> I may have stayed. Said, oh, keep, I, d- yeah. I don't know, right? That's that's the beautiful thing about uh, decisions and choices that we make. Is like he provided me an out, and it was my choice. And I felt like actually, I've, even though he said no, I was like, like go. I felt empowered to be able to make my own choice because I could have stayed, but I was like, no, that's this is perfect. I'm out. So how long did you do uh, the oil business? Until I was thirty-two. 32. So almost, it was just over, actually just over 10 years. Uh, And and at what point did you,
0: because you've also been doing um, some really, really cool like adventure work. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know what you would, I'll probably call it the wrong thing, whether it's guiding or adventures or is it it leadership growth events. You describe it, because I'm going to butcher it, but when did you start it and how long have you been doing that kind of in a vocational way rather Mm
1: -hmm. than just as a, a lifestyle and hobby? Yeah, it was about uh, six years ago. Okay. I was still, people have always asked me about the outdoors. You know, wh- what about this plant? What about that plant? You know, what about this shelter? How do I make a fire? Things like that. Because everybody that in my circle kind of knows that I love nature. And I was like this, I kind of looked at it. I was like, I wonder if I could make a business out of this. I mean, my oil field stuff was kind of starting to phase down. And I was like, I have all this time on my hands in the summer to learn. And so I started training with some of the, like, the top trainers in that space in the world. So Morris Kohansky, who is considered the godfather of bushcraft. Like he wrote the book in the seventies. It's kind of like, he's like, it's the Bible of wilderness training. Sure. And so I started working with people like that and learning more. And then, um, it was actually a local consultant had heard that I was teaching people and he was like, Hey, can you, I'd love to teach you. Can we come up with a solution where I can get my training paid for by my clients? And I was like, "I could." Oh, Yeah, I'd probably come up with something like that. Actually, and and then he goes, and I'd like to be able to teach my clients while I'm there with you, but I'll teach them the business side of it, and you teach them the wilderness skills. How did you read my mind just now? (laughs) And I was like, okay, that sounds really, really cool. And we just ran with it from there. So I did that first one. So it was kind of like a combined workshop where we did leadership, uh, the wilderness training plus business. And was that up in Canada, I'm assuming? That was up in Canada. Yeah. I, teach, I teach exclusively being in uh, the temperate rainforest. I'm uh, th- one of the only people that does uh, because it's, it's a really hard climate to survive in. It's basically always in kind of like that hypothermia zone. Where people, because like most people think it's below zero, they're like below or sorry, below thirty-two, below, right? th- below freezing. <laughs> I told you, you go earlier. Freezing. We gotta yes. translate exactly. Yeah. So and so they
0: metric buffs. That's thirty-two degrees is when water freezes.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it became like a very quickly like as a, as the only person that was really working in the temperate rainforest, I quickly became the only person to kind of go to, because it was like now okay, well I'm talking about everything that we grow, we live in a rainforest. Right, so there, it's always wet, it's always damp, it's always cold. Now, when you say so, but when you said rainforest,
0: I imagine Amazon and jungle. Mm-hmm. So I imagine really hot and sticky and humid. So you were talking about freezing though mm-hmm. and hypothermia. So explain like what's the temperature range in in the temperate rainforest in Canada?
1: Yeah, so the the range is usually between. Uh, you'll have to translate. You, you can do Celsius. Okay, so it's usually between like the hypothermia zone is about four degrees centigrade until about eighteen. So okay. it's, it's not a huge range. So that would be like from 35 Up to... until
0: 18. That's like closer yeah.
1: to what, 70? It's oh almost room temperature, right? Because if yeah, you get... 7%. What happens is the reason it's so dangerous is because people get damp and then the sun goes down and it starts to drop, right? And in fact, it, it, rainforest is actually cold most places. So if you go to the Amazon basin, people it's hot during the day, but at night, the temperature drops way, way low. Right, because right, you have all the moisture in the air. Exactly. And the more... Uh, the weather turns, you know, the dark happens. Like, cause it's dark under the, the canopy, right? So it's it's more sheltered. People get panicked. But they're lost in the forest. Or whatever, they get hot and sweaty because they're trying to move around. And then the cold hits and the temperature drops. And then it becomes, you know, a life-threatening situation. So that's where. Um, so wh- that's where, where we are. Uh, east to west in Canada, uh,
0: what's the area that you're doing most of this training in?
1: Uh, usually within a two-hour, three-hour drive of Vancouver, Vancouver so it's, a, it's a all West Coast. All West Coast. Yeah. I, I have trained in. All. I can do boreal forest. I can do. I can do desert. I can do all those pieces. I've taken training in all of them. I, I wanted to learn all of it. I, I love that world so Dude, like, One of my favorite Survivor Man episodes mm-hmm. was in Borneo. Mm. Yeah, that's a great episode.
0: Just, yeah, it was, and beautiful land too. But I. Yeah, beautiful land, but uh, tough to survive, I would imagine. So, is your stuff more more like wilderness training, or is it more survival oriented, or is it kind of what's the theme? If you just if yeah. you put a theme and a bow around it, why why would someone want to go through that experience with you?
1: So, I teach that the environment around us uh, causes specific uh, results. It causes to do certain things, take certain actions, and I use survival or wilderness training as a metaphor mm-hmm. to teach uh, to help them be more effective in the office, be more effective in the home. Uh, wherever they're doing, they gets to up their performance level because they get to learn what how their environment and how they can use their environment and their knowledge to actually improve their situation. Dude, that is so cool. <laughs> so I, I, so I, I legit, if you're hearing this right now, um, this
0: might be the first real conversation we're going to have about <laughs> uh, about joining forces in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm kid you not, man, I've been wanting so badly, because uh, you know, I, I love mountaineering and climbing, mm-hmm. but... I know a little bit about the outdoors, like, you know, I pick up things, but I've never ever been trained or have an expertise at all in survival Um, and and really the outdoor survival work, right? Mm -hmm. It's much more about, hey, put me on the side of a mountain and I'll I'll teach you about pace and about pack load and about, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It would be so much fun to do like a a leadership retreat somewhere. And what an excuse to come to Vancouver, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a great place. Um, that'd be awesome. So, if people want to find you, I know we're coming to the conclusion here. Unfortunately, we're running short on time. Um, and I know you got to get back in there and I need to um, honor your time. Thank you for sitting down with me. It was my pleasure. Um, in, a, in a little more long form. And thanks for being so open and vulnerable, too, about just kind of what shaped you. Um, I hope, we, I'm sure people have learned a ton from it and they know you more. If they want to find you um, and figure out, uh, and anything more about you, about the survival work you do, uh, it's bradypatterson.ca. Is yes. that right? So for those of you Americans, CA is for Canada. <laughs> yes. A. No, I have about 1% of my audience. No, 2% is in Canada right now. So, oh, cool. Um, hello, Canadians. Okay. So it's bradypatterson.ca, and I'll put the link in all your social media in the show notes. Okay, fantastic. And everything. Um, if you had one last kind of just a piece of advice on why, if if we never spend any time outdoors or we never spend any time in the nature setting or not enough, what's the one reason or the piece of advice that you would give to someone who spends too much time in the city?
1: Get outside and breathe. Hmm. Get into nature and just breathe. Like there's so many beautiful things that it, and not just... It's not pie-in-the-sky meditation. It's like there's biological responses. Just being in nature causes us to have certain things happen to us. And that comes from, you know, lifetimes, generations of people being in the wilderness, right? It's only that recently we've moved into this kind of urban jungle. And so the essential oils that treat, you know, the big thing right now is essential oils are so popular. Well, essential oils come from plants. <laughs> and, right, and they get released from plants when the sun hits them. And so, getting out into nature and just breathing will help lower, you know, lower your blood pressure. There's so many benefits of just getting out there, and it just gets you present in your body.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I think too, like one of the things I find a lot of it is it gets rid of anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to have anxiety around all this fake crap that we that we experience every day. And I say fake meaning like it's not really real. It's not important. You know, someone's mad at you, or <laughs> yeah. a client's not going to call back, or whatever. But when you just go outside, it's like, oh, all that's here is trees and dirt and sun, and you know, and that's there's nothing to be anxious about. Yeah. it's incredible. If you could give advice, last couple questions. If you give sure. advi- any a piece of advice to a three to six year old you, what would you tell young Brady?
1: Everything comes to an end. Hmm. You make me cry. <laughs> and I guess the final question
0: coming off of that then, Brady, is if you could change anything about your life and your story and how you grew up, uh, anything at all, what would you change? Or would you leave it all the same?
1: I wouldn't be the same person if I hadn't gone through those experiences. So I wouldn't change. uh, I wouldn't change it. Wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. You know, I might have gone out and had more fun, you know, as a, um, without restricting myself, um, but maybe skip the drugs. But I don't know. Like, at the same time, it's, it's a tough question because, like, it totally shaped me. I learned so many things from the experience. I wouldn't, here's, I wouldn't recommend anybody else do that. <laughs> right. You wouldn't do it again. <laughs> no, I wouldn't repeat it now. But you wouldn't go change it. But I wouldn't change it.
0: That's awesome. Brady Patterson, thanks, brother. Thank you, man. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that—that that, I guess storytelling, that that conversation time, because it really wasn't—that um, wasn't one of those again, one of those uh, business interviews. Um, I might have Brady on another time. We can talk about all the online marketing stuff. We can talk about the different elements that he does in business. But what I really, really wanted you to get to know was just the man, Brady. He's a phenomenal human being. If you have a chance to be at a seminar, um, he he speaks for his company, Success Road Academy, regularly. I've had him at my event speaking, and he teaches uh, all some amazing stuff on online marketing, building building funnels. He teaches about uh, creating online courses no matter where you are. So, you know, if you're in that space, there is some great content, but he also has some great stories and has that again the wilderness adventure background. So if you want to connect with Brady, make sure you do so at bradypatterson.ca and you can find him on Facebook, facebook.com slash the Brady Patterson. Did I say P- Patterson? I hope I said Patterson right. BradyPatterson.ca, and Facebook is the Brady Patterson. So check him out. Check him out. Brady, thanks for coming on the show. I sure appreciate you. Uh, and, hey, thanks for listening. I hope you're having a great weekend. Uh, this coming Tuesday is a special Tuesday because we're going to be doing part two of our top 10 things you can do to make money during the downtimes or during the holiday season in your business. So, last Tuesday, we did the top five, or let's call them six through 10, extra income generating. This Tuesday, we're going to be doing part two. So make sure you check in. And if you're listening to this in an archive and you're listening to this years from now, well, just skip ahead one episode and you're going to see part two the top five strategies to save money and ultimately, of course, make you more money during the holiday season. It's a downtime for me in my business and in my industry and speaking and coaching. It might be a downtime for you unless you're in retail. Uh, but for those of us in consulting and coaching and speaking, it's usually a downtime. So listen in next Tuesday. I'll see you then. Subscribe, rate, review, and real quick, seriously, subscribe, rate, review, if you would. I sure would appreciate it. It makes a heck of a lot of difference for the show, for all of us. Have an awesome weekend. Get out there, and as usual, do something great. Crush it. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your business, and I'll talk to you soon.